Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Friday, December the 15th. And today we're going to catch up with politics and catch up with a very exciting 2023 and look a little bit ahead to 2024 with our friend uh, Richard Baer from The American Thinker. Richard, it's always great to have you. Welcome. Pleasure to be back, Silvio. How is the weather in the Windy City? I'm, I'm not the political weather, but I mean yeah. the real weather. As so far, it's been a global warming early winter season. Okay. So uh, no complaints really from anyone here. Okay. All right. And uh, how are the sports teams? Uh, the Bears? Not too good, right? Yeah, we should probably change subjects at That's this right. point. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get off that one. Yeah, I'll get off that one. We're 0 for 5 in terms of teams with playoff prospects. Yeah, we seem to be going in opposite directions, yeah. uh, our, our section and your, and your city. All right, well, today we're going to talk about talk a little bit about what a crazy year this has been, especially for uh, presidential politics. But I want to begin, I want to begin with October 7th, uh, obviously the terrible tragedy, terrorist act, and lots of innocent people killed. But what happened after, you know, the reaction at the universities, what we have seen, these three college presidents, I think that these people have, have sort of, we've taken off their mask. We now know who they are. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether they're anti-Semitic or just hate, you know, hate Israel, I don't know. But mm -hmm. I think it's, it's very troubling what's happening in our universities and the administrators, Richard. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's become evident in the last two months is that this sort of coalition of the left uh, has some natural tendencies to break apart. Uh, and one of them is Israel. Uh, when Chuck Schumer goes to the Senate floor and says all his former allies are now essentially condemning Israel and taking the side of, of Hamas, uh, that's bothersome. I mean, uh, Schumer has never been considered a profiling courage so for him to uh, come to the Senate floor and say that is remarkable in its own stead. But you, there are lots of articles that you can read about people who, you know, the women's movement, who are shocked to find out that the Me Too movement and the women's movement counts for everybody except Jewish women in Israel who were raped or tortured or burned alive or seen their kids' heads cut off. Uh, and then you get to academia itself, where... The supposedly diversity, equity, inclusion movement seems to not include any kind of respect or protection for Jewish students on campus who are in fairly significant numbers at a lot of schools and have had really an awful experience the last couple of months with university administrators seemingly fearful uh, that they don't want to antagonize the groups that they're really most connected to and most care about, which is the left and people who live by identity politics, uh, so members of the groups that are considered uh, those that are fragile and need protection, uh, which apparently J Jews do not. And, and I'm not advocating that Jews become a victim group. I really don't want the university to protect Jews because they're, an ident they're a, a group that needs to be protected. They should be treated like everybody else. And in fact, nobody should be advantaged or disadvantaged in terms of how the university deals with them, and certainly shouldn't be because of one's race, ethnicity, or religion. Right. Well, I think another thing, too, that is must be alarming to these universities is they're finding out that a lot of their money comes from Jewish-American families. 
like this Huntsman family that decided not to write a check. But I actually think, Richard, that is the best way to get the universities to change is by by holding back uh, the money. But what I thought was most uh, shameful of all was when you had students, Jewish, I guess, Jewish American students hiding in rooms, fearing Mm -hmm. for their safety. Mm -hmm. And I keep asking myself, what would have been the reaction of some of these groups if, let's say, they they had, let's say, blacks hiding Mm -hmm. in rooms because they were Mm -hmm. under it? I mean, I think the presidents would have been angry or the university. Oh, yeah. There's no no comparison in what the treatment would have been because there are protected groups uh, and there are others who were regarded as oppressors or supremacists. Uh, And you don't want to be in either of the latter two categories at this point because you're simply not going to get a fair shake on campus. But, uh, you know, as far as the money, I want to make a comment about that. Huntsman actually is not Jewish. Uh, He's more I think he's Mormon. But there are right. He is because he ran for president. I remember if yeah, you're right. I I stand corrected. Yeah. But there are lots of, of heavyweight Jewish donors, University of Pennsylvania at Harvard, Columbia, uh, MIT who have started putting pressure on. And one of the questions you have to ask yourself is why give to universities? These are the wealthiest not-for-profit institutions in America. I mean, Harvard's got an endowment of 50 billion. I mean, MIT's a piker because they're only like 15 billion. Uh, These are not organizations that are crying for funds. If you want to look for philanthropic intent where you can actually help people in need or people who are having a tough time, it wouldn't be the major universities. But, you know, people who have made billions like to throw the money around. They like to, you know, have a building named after them because we're we're all mortal and the building maybe will be immortal. But uh, they're realizing now what they've been supporting. And they've been supporting really not only lunacy to some extent, but really hardcore anti-Semitism. I mean, the fact that at Harvard, the very night of October 7th, 30 organizations on campus were already out with a statement. This was before Israel responded in any way to the attacks. There was no invasion of Gaza. There was no bombing. There was no ground troops. But within the first few hours, 30 groups already prepared a statement claiming that the attacks were justified. Right. So you're justifying the slaughter of 1,200 people, which could have been 10 or 20,000 if they had killed everybody they you know, they wanted to kill in every one of those small communities. So it's it's staggering to think that people are so quick to defend an action by someone they view as on their side that they don't even think about what the action is that they're supporting. But I would I would argue, too, and you're exactly right, but I would also add to that that you couldn't have organizations like that in, or the, the school would not allow organizations like, for example, if there had, let's say, for example, there had been uh, an attack on on a bus of illegal immigrants on the border, let's say, uh, and there, and a bunch of colleges, a bunch of college groups came out saying, hey, we support that. That mm-hmm. was exactly what we needed to do. Right. The universities, Harvard or whatever, would have never allowed groups like that to exist. Yeah. Uh, their license or whatever would have been would have been taken away. So the fact that these groups exist in the first place really shows me that the the leaders of these universities are either tone deaf or maybe they agree with these groups. You got to consider that too. And, and so it Mm -hmm. just, I, I I tell you, I love two things uh, about 
everything that, that I've seen in the universities, number one, I love the idea of queers for Palestine. <laughs> right. I, I, to me, that's got to be the headline of the year, queers for Palestine. I, I just yeah, they, they do well in that environment. <laughs> but I mean, the, the fact that nobody has tapped them in the head and said, you know, not a good idea for you to be, you mm -hmm. know, that because queers don't do real well in, in that part no. of the world, whatever. No. But the other thing that impresses me, uh, Richard, maybe you have an answer to this. Where did they get all those Palestine flags from? Yeah, that's. I am just. I am sitting there saying, "What business opportunity did right. I miss in my life?" I mean, these flags go up like this. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it is quite amazing. It's uh, uh, and the technology obviously is beyond me, but also it seems like the supply chain problems have all disintegrated when it comes to the flags needed for demonstrations. But yes. I want to want to follow up on you know one point you made, which is. Can you imagine if there actually was a white supremacist group who wanted to have a, an event on campus in which they applauded the history of the KKK? That sounds ridiculous. Of course, you know, the college would not allow that. But they did at Penn. They allowed a conference to eliminate the state of Israel just a, a week or 10 days before October 7th, in which included were people like Roger Waters, the, the singer, uh, who is one of the most virulent anti-Semites in the world. And they knew who was coming. They knew sure. who was speaking. They knew who these people were. They were all discredited. And yet, free speech ruled the day because you don't want to close down the ability of even the worst opinion to be on campus. But you know that's not true. Exactly like you said, there's hypocrisy galore in the decisions about who to go after who to prevent speaking and who to allow speaking. But the good thing, I mean, not the good thing, but what happened on October 7th was horrible. But I mean, if there is any silver lining to all of this, and, and I, I have to be careful how I say that because 1,200 people were right. killed. But, sure. but what I'm saying is that what we used to call hypocrisy, you know, when, they, when, when for example, they wouldn't let that young woman speak because she believes that men and women should, should play in different places. Right. Uh, the hypocrisy has been exposed. They can no longer say right. we have the same rules because everybody knows they don't. So right. the, the mask of, I don't know if this is correct, but the mask of hypocrisy, we all know they're hypocrites right now. Right. And they, they can no longer deny it, uh, Richard. Right. It, it's going to be a, a, a difficult struggle, though, because the this toxic DEI infrastructure has been implanted in not only the elite colleges, but pretty much everywhere across the country. I mean, maybe Hillsdale College is an exception, or this University of Austin, Texas, which is being developed by a group of people who it's supposedly an alternative free-thinking school. Uh, I wish them luck, because you're going to need alternatives, or people are still going to wind up applying because they still think the degree has prestige, even if the basic core content is, is poisonous at this point. Well, I know that here in Texas, the legislature and the governor signed the law uh, eliminating many of these diversity. Florida, too. Uh, yeah. And so that here will be a little bit less. Yeah. But you still have. I mean, University of Texas had Palestine flags. Right. And uh, that was probably the worst case of all. The other universities have not had as much. But I thought it was funny, not maybe not funny, but appropriate that somebody said <clears throat> that you don't see these marches in community colleges. Yeah. Maybe it's because the students are working. Yeah, that's, maybe it's because they're actually busy. Yeah. The, the other thing is that they came out 
was the grade inflation at these elite schools. Yes. Where, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the grades given are A or A minus. It's like when everybody's a genius, nobody's a genius, I guess. Well, I just, you know, I remember telling a friend that I could probably, when I was watching clips of those ladies, the lady presidents uh, being interviewed, I said to a friend, you know, I could probably bet and win any bet that I know exactly how 90% of these administrators voted in the last Mm -hmm. elections. At least 90%. At least 90%. At least 90%. I know how they feel about Roe v. Wade. I can bet on it and win. I know how they feel about just about all these issues because you could almost tell it's like these people just hang around with others who agree with them. So, and, and hiring them, the, the yes. people will only hire people who agree with them. You can't get graduate degrees and have a professor who will sponsor you and you'll he'll be your doctoral advisor unless essentially they think you're going to join the ranks and believe the same thing, teach the same thing and follow up with your future students in the future to keep the pipeline going. I mean, these are people who have taken over these institutions and they have no interest whatsoever in sharing that or losing any of the power or control they have. Right. No, the only way you can do it is through money or legislatures. Mm-hmm. That's the only mm-hmm. way you can break it, or at least put the brakes on it. Mm-hmm. But I think to, to, to follow up on that, there's this story of a young boy in a Seattle public school who was failed by his teacher because one of the questions and the quiz or whatever was, the question was only men or no, only women can get pregnant or, or men cannot get pregnant, something mm-hmm. like that. So the student voted, of course, men cannot get pregnant. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the teacher failed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the mother is like saying, wait a minute, what do you, why are you failing my students? But that, that is another, cause this is also happening in public schools. Now, of course, the advantage of the public schools is that the parents can move them to an alternative school like <coughs> homeschooling or school choice, which is growing. Mm. And I think one of the reasons it's growing so much is because of crazy teachers like like that one in, in Seattle. But I again, it, I missed something really big in my life. I should have gone into the business of Palestine flags <laughs> because I think I would have done very well. I could have secured my retirement just on that business alone. I'm wondering how many pronouns are associated with that Seattle teacher. Yes. <laughs> yes. I guess absolutely. this is a long collection. <laughs> yes, quite quite a few, quite a few, like a long list of them. <laughs> and but it's funny because now you do and you do get letters. Like I I, I got a letter the other day from a publisher, and it, the lady's name who sent the letter in the bottom, she said preferred pronouns. You know, she and her or something like that. And I looked at that and I said, it's crazy. Yeah. But in some, I guess in some companies, they have you do that. Right. Uh, you know, put in your your preferred pronoun. Well, let's switch a little bit so that we don't run out of time. Let's talk a little bit about the politics. Of, sure. We began 2023, uh, uh, Richard, uh, with sort of an assumption that Trump was unelectable. Mm-hmm. And now we finished 2023 with Trump leading Biden in most of these polls, it's now, in some cases, over the margin of error, so it's no mm-hmm. longer that. And if the election were held today, I think he would do a little bit better than than 2016. Now, mm-hmm. the question for you is, is that because of Biden or is that because of Trump? Yeah, I, th- I think there are a couple of things going on. I mean, Trump at the beginning of, the, of 2023 
seemed not nominatable, not only not electable, but not nominatable, or at least that he was an underdog because you knew you had this new hot thing, which was DeSantis, who won by 19 points in Florida, which is unheard of because that had been one of the most competitive states in the country for decades. And there was a point where his, his poll numbers were equal to or even higher than Trump's. And, you know, now Trump has an enormous lead and the calendar may favor him because there is a significant percentage of Republicans who say they support Trump, who also say they might leave that if he's, in fact, convicted of some serious felonies. And there's enough cases going around and enough lousy jurisdictions <laughs> to be Trump on trial that there's a pretty good chance that he's going to get convicted of something along the way. But if it comes in August or September and he appeals, so he's the nominee, he could get elected. Now, my, my own sense is that uh, it's very high risk at this point for the Democrats to have Biden and for the Trump and for the Republicans to have Trump, because in one case, you're looking at serious mental deterioration, which seems to be accelerating. And in the other, most of the commentary about the candidate is going to have to do with his legal troubles over the next six to nine months, rather than policy differences or any other you know issues that that have favored him in the past, like the border, which you think would be a natural thing given the catastrophe over the last three years. So I still think it's a wild card going forward in that uh, both parties have the potential to go another direction. And if one of them does and the other doesn't, the one that does, I think, will likely win. Yes, uh, interesting. So Now, another thing, too, is the Robert Kennedy factor. I've seen, mm -hmm. and you see a lot more polls than I do, but I, I, I've seen a couple where I saw one where he's as high as 15%. Yeah, I think I've that seen might higher. be. Yeah. Now, if that were to happen and you have Trump, Biden, and Robert Kennedy at numbers like that, this could be like Perot in 92, mm -hmm. yep. where, where mm -hmm. you know, Bill Clinton was elected with 43% of the popular vote, but mm -hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the states, uh, but, but one, one thing that I believe is helping Trump in, in all these moments is the comparison factor mm -hmm. that, you know, you have more and more people who are saying, you know, it was pretty good with him. It's not mm -hmm. good now, right. uh, especially the economy. Right. And it's not just, not just the economy. I, I like to look at a lot of other reports too. Mm -hmm. You have, for example, and I'm sure you know this, uh, bank car loans mm -hmm. that are behind. Mm -hmm. You have more and more Americans behind in their consumer loans. Uh, electricity, I'm sure it's going to be a huge problem mm -hmm. in the north uh, this winter. It's a big problem down here too, but we don't get as cold as you do. And all of these things are eating away at a, at a family budget. So right. even if you have a drop on inflation or gasoline, as we have seen, there's still a lot of sure. uh, big burden on the family budget, Richard. And the perception of the economy is not great. Even if the numbers are so-so, the perception is that it's worse. And then you have the president going out and whispering, Bidenomics, it's working. And that simply is not doing the job. No. Uh, and, you know, there's an interesting point about what you just made about the record. The, the Democrats are going to focus 
on the last three weeks of the Trump administration, in other words, anything surrounding January 6th, rather than anything in the four years minus three weeks that preceded that. And right. that's because they think the strongest argument they have is that Trump's an, an authoritarian, democracy is at risk. In a second term, he would just be all vengeance and going after his enemies. And if Trump does have one problem he needs to address quickly is he enjoys essentially making people go crazy about what he might do. So he taunts them. And that taunting, unfortunately, given the con sort of the constitution of the national media at this point, which is about everything but Fox News hates his guts, is not helpful because that will get through, whether it's through that media or social media. Uh, and he needs to be a little more adult and realize that if he's going to win this next election a second time, he's got to clean up his act a bit. And so far, he seems to enjoy the uh, taking people, you know, essentially taunting people. Well, and the best recent example of that is that interview with Hannity, yeah. where Hannity says, they're accusing you of being a dictator. And he says, for one day, I will be. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, no, I, I mean, I get it. I mean, in 2016, I'm sure the same thing with you. I used to watch his rallies because it was this is so different than anything yeah, you've ever seen right. before. It was entertaining. No. No. I but, thought he was so different in 2016 that he would evaporate eventually mm -hmm. because I said, this guy is like, we've never seen anything like this before, right. but he managed to win. Right. But I, I, I guess, you know, right now, he he does benefit from comparison. That's what people tell yeah, me. That, I, that I agree. And, and also so the, much that, the Democratic so much Party that people, is, is yeah, crazy. Go ahead. I mean, uh, you know, that Reed Teixeira, who's, uh, I think, University yes. of Texas for years, has said, you know, the coalition of the ascendant, which was going to be what delivered the elections for Democrats for the next, you know, 50 years or 100 years, is cratering. The groups that they thought were dependable and would always vote 60-40 or 70-30 for the Democrats, it's not the case. Those but people I, actually respond to yes. real economic conditions. Well, and I and that's exactly right. I, the point I wanted to make also, and that is that uh, in the case of Hispanics, they've been hard hit. A lot of them are middle class. Like if you go to South Texas and you start talking about climate change and fossil fuels, uh, there's a lot of refineries mm -hmm. where a lot of Hispanics work. Good jobs. Texas. Good paying Good jobs. Job. And all those truck drivers, mm -hmm. you know, refinery truck drivers. So a, a lot of this stuff hits home. I also think... And you I don't know, know the problem this... with those drivers, by the way. Now they're all carrying Palestinian flags. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you don't see it. It's funny. You don't see a lot of Palestine flags in South Texas. I mean, it doesn't right. seem to be any great uh, movement down down there. But uh, another thing, too, that I think Rui Teixeira mentioned, he's written several articles about this, but he wrote one, this the one you sent around and also another one, where he talked to a lot about how conservative Hispanics are. Mm -hmm. And and on some of these social issues, mm -hmm. they're not really on board. Right. Uh, if you mentioned to a Hispanic father that his daughter had to compete with a boy on the soccer field <laughs> or on the swimming pool, mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to go over right. very well. They're very conservative. but On social issues. On, on social on issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, economics, I mean, I they probably are more liberal, but right. certainly on socialism. But social issues is what gets people excited, I think, right. sometimes. Right. They're more emotional. They're, they're more emotional, absolutely. 
Well, Richard, I want to thank you so much uh, for giving us a little time this afternoon. Are, do you have any, uh, uh, any? oh, by the way, ha have you watched the White House Christmas video? <laughs> I've watched a part of it. I couldn't watch the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly sure what, you know, what who's that was all the, about. What, what was that about? The, the, who's making the decisions? Yes, to do this? I mean, because I'm looking at that video and the first thing is, this is supposed to be the nutcracker. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that what they're saying it is? But you get you get the feeling that they're just like pandering to, mm -hmm. to groups or just right. the a lot of crazy people are making decisions. And mm -hmm. I didn't ask you about Hunter Biden. And part of it is because I haven't really followed it that much. Mm -hmm. I think there's I don't know if there's anything illegal here, but to me, there's some bad judgment on the president's part. I mean, if your son is going to be traveling with you. And coming back with contracts, you would think you sit down with your son and say, hey, son, look, you don't do mm -hmm. that because you're going to get me in trouble. I don't know if it's illegal. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't what he did. But it somehow, you know, people say he's he was just being a good father. No, yeah. I don't think a good father allows his son to use him like that. That's just yeah. my feeling. Uh, yeah, no, no. I, th I think the issue is that the father's role in this was access. Essentially, so what does Hunter Biden have to sell? His skill, his business knowledge, his acumen? No, the only thing he had was a father who was a somebody in the in the administration, and whatever he did for them, even if he did nothing, selling access. It's not like he's the first person to have done it, but it it looks tawdry. It does, and if you're if you're trying to sell or trying to impress people that you have contacts. Nothing impresses people in other countries more than you get out of the vice presidential plane because uh, not too many people get to fly in those planes. Mm -hmm. So usually people who fly in those planes have some kind of contacts or access. So that's where I think, you know, the argument is that that Joe Biden was being a good father. And I personally, if one of my sons was all of a sudden making a lot of money, I would want to know, did you win the lottery or what did you do? Because mm -hmm. uh, so you, you get that feeling that he, he wasn't very strong with, with Hunter. That's my feeling. Yeah. No, I, that, I think that's the same. And, and again, you know, given his family history, his wife and one child dying in a car accident, his uh, oldest son dying of a brain cancer, uh, or, I, or I think it was brain cancer. I mean, he's had personal issues, so he's, yes. I'm sure he's close with his kids and wants them to do well. But not this way. I mean, this... No. You know, when you get to be president, I don't think Obama would have been in. And I wasn't a huge fan of Obama, but I don't think you would have seen something like this if no. his kids were the same age. You certainly do, don't see it with the Bush family. No. And they've had a lot more positions. Right. Uh, I mean, they had, a you know, the, the first one's a senator, then a president, the president right. and a governor. I mean, they've had a lot of prominent men in that family. And you've never, never right. heard any anything about anything right. like this. I think there was a standard there that you knew. Right. That that you had to engage in certain behavior. That standard, I don't think, applied to Biden. I, I just don't yeah, think. No, I, I here. Yeah. No, standards in general have been out the window the last few yes, years. Yes. Yes. That's so. right. Well, again, thank you. Merry Christmas to you and to your family. Same to you, and, Silvio. And uh, I hope that we can chat again after the first of the year. And I'm going to encourage you, based on what we talked about today, check out my post tomorrow. OK. I think that uh, you'll enjoy my reference to the video. All right. Very good. We'll look for All it. Right.
Thank you very much. My, okay. our, thank you very much. Our good friend, uh, Richard Bayer, uh, one of the founders of the American Thinker and somebody that we value a great deal as a man who knows uh, uh, what's going on in the country, the politics and everything else. And I thought he gave us some great information today. Have a great day, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.